Hey there, and welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast with me, your host, Brett Hawes. I hope summer has been kind and you're enjoying this warm weather we're having here, at least up in the north anyway. And uh, if you are uh, down south, hopefully you're staying warm in the winter. Uh, So a couple of announcements. Um, For those of you who are following me online and are on the mailing list, you would have known that I've done a couple of webinars, one last week and one yesterday. Uh, These are practitioner-only or practitioner-focused webinars. Last Last night's one was entitled... Uh, the Insider's Guide to a Thriving Practice. And on that webinar, I spoke about enrollment opening for my current course entitled Mastering the Art of the Solo Practitioner. So I want you to check out the show notes and you can actually access the uh, that, that course registration page. Uh, you can get all the details there as well. And if you are a practitioner, feel free to shoot me a message, Brett at at holistichealthmasterclass.com and I'd be happy to send you a private link to the webinar replay as well. I just don't really think that there's um, anything in it for those of you who are non-practitioners. Um, I am happy to put out the registration link, though, uh, for everyone to view. Um, but yeah, if you're a practitioner, you know, we suffer from a lot of the same issues and struggles. And, uh, you know, where I'm at anyway is I really want to see natural medicine take on more of a prominent role in healthcare, generally speaking. But in order to do that, we really need to do two things. One is perfect our craft as practitioners. But the other one is actually to run a professional operation that is, uh, you know, that deals with things like privacy issues, that is, you know, uh, m- meticulous record keeping, that um, sort of, you know, is on par with the way that the medical system is run in many uh, respects. But I know the struggles of actually setting up and running a practice, especially when you're working for yourself, It's it can be very challenging. And after my 15 years in practice myself and 12 years teaching student practitioners, uh, you know, the, the course that you see is basically a synthesis of all of that. So I won't bore uh, our non-practitioner listeners anymore. So if you're a practitioner, check out the show notes, click on the link, and you basically will have all of the tools you need to get yourself set up and or optimized in 90 days or less. Right, so on to today's show. And I got to say, I was really, really excited by the end of recording this show because a lot of the things that we talk about in this episode with uh, my friend Jason Prowl actually step a little bit outside of the hard science. And his documentary, um, obviously, you know, it's called The Human Longevity Project. Uh, Yes, it does get very, very sciencey, but I wanted to actually sort of take a step back from that. And I wanted to really just push Jason and have a good discussion about the fact of, do we want to live longer? What does a longer lifespan look like? Have we consciously evolved as a human society to uh, live in a sustainable way if we were to live longer? And so these questions and many, many more come up in this episode. We definitely get uh, a little bit philosophical, but I think the interesting thing for me is that Jason has traveled around to roughly 50 countries over two years and actually spoken to people that are in their 80s, 90s, 100s, and has basically asked them, what did you do? 
right? And a couple of interesting things on that point is one, we're living in a different time right now. Okay, so your grandfather that smoked a pack of cigarettes every day and drank a bottle of whiskey uh, lived in a very different time than we're living right now. But I think the thing that you will take away from this episode is that living longer really means living happier. And so it's not about extending one's life. It's actually about living a happier life while you're here. And you know, for those of us listening, obviously it sort of flies in the face here of holistic health, but I think that we agonize and I think that we try too hard. And in trying too hard and in doing the meditation and doing the exercise and eating the right diet and taking the supplements, we actually create so much more agony that we forget to live in the moment and to appreciate what we have right in front of us right here right now so a fascinating episode and i had a really really good time chatting with jason i think um, i might actually get him back on the show to dive into some of the science uh, but for now uh, enjoy today's episode and as always if you enjoy the episode please consider sharing leaving a review subscribing whatever you can do to help me to continue bringing awesome content so enjoy today's show and here is jason Pearl. Hey, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, being here. Hey, what's up, Brett? Thanks for having me. So, Jason, um, you have, uh, I'm going to frame this correctly without sounding too jealous, but um, <laughs> you have done what I've wanted to do. <laughs> um, have you heard of a guy by the name of Dr. Weston Price? I'm sure you uh, have. Of course I have. Yeah, right. he's, so, a, he's a big fan. Of, I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, it's right. So, so Weston Price back in the day, um, you know, he, him and his wife traveled the world and they basically observed different cultures in the transition from the um, traditional way of living into more of a modern lifestyle. And then he sort of documented that and the health effects and all that sort of stuff. And when I first started reading his stuff, I was like, man, like, I wish I had that job back in the day, right? And you've <laughs> gone out and actually have done that, right? So before we get into the documentary that we've made, perhaps you can sort of give us a little bit of a sketch in terms of your background, like how did you get to the point of making this documentary and a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a long story, but you know, I, I came from the world of mechanical engineering and, uh, and, and in that, in my sort of younger days, I was dealing with some chronic health issues that, that you know, I couldn't find answers to. So it led me down the path of, of discovery, um, mostly through the internet and trying things and figuring out what worked. And then eventually th through sort of studying integrative functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, you know, as many things as I could get a hold of that were outside the mainstream, because I realized that the mainstream scientific medical, uh, information was just not sufficient when it came to chronic issues. So, um, I just kind of got immersed in that just through, uh, curiosity and passion and trying to figure out my own health issues and eventually worked with clients and, uh, started working with a lot of complex health issues with, with clients, right. You know, autoimmune conditions, you know, mm -hmm. and, and generally when you have autoimmune conditions, you have multiple, right. So yeah. there was, there was that and then cancers and you know, all the things that we see now that are so common, um, with unfortunately younger and younger populations. And, and in that process, what I recognized was that yes, integrative medicine and functional medicine and complementary medicine, all these new, let's call them alternative. Although I think they're becoming more mainstream <laughs> now, um, they're great and they're fantastic. But at the end of the day, they're still reactionary to a problem that is systemic among the Western populations, which in my view has to do with lifestyle 
almost exclusively, right? And when mm. I mean lifestyle, I mean mental, emotional, lifestyle, uh, you know, and this includes diet. So the whole thing I felt was was really the problem. And the 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 way I responded to that was to create uh, a documentary film series that that I thought could address some of the lifestyle related and environmental issues that we're facing today um, from a lens of kind of an integrative medicine perspective, you know, and mm -hmm. thinking about the the medical side of the lifestyle issues that we've created for ourselves and trying to contrast that with some populations around the world that maybe aren't dealing with that and, and looking at their results and, and how their health is today. Yeah. So, so, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, like what I'm hearing is that you sort of went down the medical route for these health issues that you had and perhaps you, you didn't really find the success that you were looking for, or the results that you were looking for. And that sort of prompted you to sort of look outside the box, um, which I think is, is a, is a very common thing with people who get into, um, actually being yes. healthcare providers, right? Yes. You know, we sort of have the hero's journey if you want to look yep. at it like that. So Exactly. And I think that's, there's a lesson in there, right? I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, these sort of healers and doctors and practitioners out there that you see generally are teaching the stuff that they had to overcome themselves or, or maybe are still overcoming, right? And I don't think that's a problem either. So I think mm -hmm. this is the path. And I think one of the lessons in, in healing, I think, comes from this, this understanding that you're being given a gift and this gift may not be comfortable or uh you know enjoyable during the process but the the gift is uh this gift of t of 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 learning and being able to t teach what you've learned so i think some of that is accepting the responsibility and the role that you've been given and, and using that opportunity to then further the education and the health and the wellness and the, and the well-being of others in this mm -hmm. process mm -hmm. you know it's 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 interesting that you say these types of things because it sounds very shamanic to me right and when i say shamanic like i have a a very steeped history in shamanic medicine and indigenous medicine and whatnot. And, uh, you know, they always say the shamans were, um, not to say that we're all shamans by any means, like we're not going to go there, but the shamans were always, um, uh, oftentimes were afflicted. You know, they had their own health issues, they had their own struggles, and oftentimes right. it brought them to the brink of death uh, before they could heal themselves and then take that those teachings on and help other people. So it's kind of, um, you know, again, just sort of stepping outside the box for a minute here and drawing uh, those parallels, um, I find quite interesting. But one, one thing I, I sort of, you know, on that note, I, the, the thing that I find interesting is, um, and perhaps you can speak to this a little bit more, we have more practitioners than we've ever had before, right? Hmm. Yep. Right, okay. Now, most practitioners, and maybe this is an overstatement, I don't have statistics on this, but if many of these practitioners or most of these practitioners have also had their own health struggles, right, and they've learned from those health struggles to now help others, it's kind of an interesting concept to think about, right? So more and more people are getting sick, more and more people are helping themselves, and in turn, more and more people are helping others, right? I mean, right. Is, is, is that a sort of fair statement to say? And I, I know that there's many, many nuances within that conversation, but do you think that's an accurate description? 
Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's uh, from my perspective, that's exactly what's happening. And, and, you know, one could probably just step back to 30,000 foot view and say, you know, this is the way nature rebalances. This is the way nature self-corrects, mm. right? Whenever you have, I mean, if you, if you just look at, at two populations, you know, wolves and uh, foxes and rabbits, you know, when you have an overabundance of, of rabbits, you have a huge food supply for the foxes, you know, and it goes back and forth. Right. So, yeah. I mean, this is, seems to be the case in nature and in, in living organisms that, when, when things get to a point of, of sort of disastrous conditions, it, nature has a way of rebalancing. And I think this is exactly what we're seeing now is we're seeing a response that to an unsustainable way of living that totally. has created a reactionary um, system. And uh, ironically, it's becoming a more uh, decentralized distributed system, right? Mm -hmm. So we're actually getting rid of the, the centralization of medicine and going back to a more almost tribal-like system of of medicine and taking care of ourselves and hopefully it, it actually extends back to the family unit which i think is where it belongs um you know prior to the modernization industrialization of society this is generally the way it was you'd have a a, a medicine man or medicine woman in, in the village and you would have uh, a generalized way of being you know this art yeah. of living if you will amongst the society and again i think this is where the problem is right now we've forgotten how to live you know, this yeah. is why we're sick. It's not because a lack of, of medicine men and medicine women or lack of doctors. It's not because no, of not anything else. Then we've screwed up the way we live. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting you say that because, you know, when you talk about decentralization, like I'm a huge fan of decentralization on many fronts. I think the economy should be decentralized. I think the political system should be decentralized. But, you know, to sort of bring it back on point here in terms of medicine, I think there's something to be said for localized medicine. And what I mean by that is, you know, local communities face different problems, right? So different right. communities face different problems. They have different medicines that are available to them within their immediate environment. And that's exactly coming back to shamanic medicine. I mean, that's what shamanic medicine was about. You know, there was no ayahuasca in the middle of the desert in Africa. There was no iboga in the Arctic Circle. There was not, you know, none of these medicines were available to other people, but the medicines were localized and they were understood by the peoples of that culture through generations and generations of using and experiencing that medicine. So, I, you know, I totally agree with you. And I think to just follow that point, we're also, I think what we're really talking about here is the sort of um, one-size-fits-all globalization of healthcare, mm -hmm. uh, which, which, which I, I think is, is a huge, huge problem. You know, I've, say, I've been saying this for many years now. And um, I, I mean, take a look at what's going on around us, right? With all of the innovations in healthcare, and I say innovations, quote unquote, um, you know, access to healthcare, et cetera, et cetera, especially here in the West, we're still finding that disease rates are climbing. Right. Which, which, which is really the sort of, um, I mean, that, that's the smoking gun right there. Yeah. And, and I think this is, this circles back to the, the primary issue, which is that no matter which form of medicine, and even if you localize it, which I think is, is absolutely, uh, uh, the best way to do medicine, um, we still have to learn how to live in harmony, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and this is what I recognized in my work, which is that anytime somebody came in into my door, so to speak, uh, with a skin condition or hormonal issues or, uh, you know, diabetes or metabolic syndrome or autoimmune disease, there was fundamental principles that I felt that I had to ensure that they were doing, right? We have to ensure good sleep. 
We have to ensure that the circadian rhythm is is aligned with their uh, their environment. We have to ensure that they're eating, you know, organic, natural, whole foods. Hopefully, from you know somewhere near them, and ideally seasonally. I mean, these are just these are principles that are kind of universal, right? You, you can't yeah. be healthy if you don't sleep. So, so in other words, there are certain. Well, while we absolutely need medicine and healthcare to be individualized, there are universal principles that we need to follow, and mm-hmm. we're not following any of those. Uh, yeah. You know, in in terms of as a, you know, society, you know, individuals certainly are, but but society is is losing track of how to think about some of these things, and part of that is because our society is now in a really weird spot that it's you know hasn't been in in recent history anyway, as far as we know we're in uncharted territory and we got to learn how to live given the context of our modern environment that is totally, uh, let's just say unnatural, I guess, if you, if you really want to yeah. get to that yeah. point, I mean, no, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, look, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that there's, there, there's a weird sort of juxtapose, if you will, where we're talking about things like technological advancement but at the same time, with technological advancement and progress, it, it often comes at the sort of detriment of nature, right? Right. And, and, so, and one of the things that you sort of pulled out, you know, I'm sort of skipping forward a little bit in terms of where I want it to be, but you bring it up. And I think it's a good point to talk about is, you know, technology and the flow of information, everything is happening at lightning fast speed. And nature in many instances works like that. But in most instances, it doesn't, right? It's, it's actually a, a slower process. Right. And if you start getting into frequencies and all that sort of stuff, I mean, nature has a base resonant frequency that is actually aligned with us in more of a meditative or perhaps a slightly focused uh, sort of state. And so I think, I think that that's what you're sort of touching on, right, is when we talk about how we've forgotten to live, I mean, for, for, for getting to live is, is more a question of, living according to our biology or living according to our environment. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I I wouldn't classify myself as an expert on Eastern philosophies and Eastern ways of living, but you do tend to see some of these more, uh, these concepts uh, represented more in the East, things like balance, things like Mm -hmm. rhythms, things like, um, you know, uh, cycles and fractals. And, you know, so I think this is what we have to sort of at least get back in touch with is this idea that there are ways that the, that, that the universe or that nature operates under and and we can't subvert those. We can't get around those. We have to align with those, you know, and this is the idea that I think if we get in touch with this idea of sort of biomimicry or, or, or looking at uh, to nature for the templates or the blueprints through which we can develop technology, I think then we start to align mm-hmm. ourselves a little bit better. But, but right now, you know, over the last hundred plus years, we've actually created technology for the most part that has been, in direct opposition to nature's rhythms, nature's flow, nature's cycles. And I think that is what is causing in part the imbalance, but, but more yeah. fundamentally it's our thinking. It's our, it's our, we don't understand totally. um, nature well enough to align with it, understanding that we are it, you know? So if you're not, if you, if you're, if you're misaligned with nature, that means you're misaligned with yourself. Yeah. Um, so we have to kind of, I think, bring some of these concepts back. And this is why I love some of the Eastern teachings because they, 
they just tend to, they, they seem to integrate this type of thinking a little bit better. And you can go even back to, you know, Aristotelian philosophy and, and, you know, the Aristotle and the, and the Greeks and, and we see some of it there too, but, but we have lost a lot of that. And so I think we have to bring some of this back, the naturalist point of view and, and start to mm-hmm. study nature and get back in those rhythms because without it, we're, we're kind of screwed. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you sort of um, bring a point that jogs my memory banks here, and I haven't probably said this for a really long time, but um, it's worth saying right now, is, you know, science, the development of science, and if you look at science through history, um, you have uh, theology, right? And, and mm-hmm. the- theology, the purpose of theology, this is pre-Newtonian science, the purpose of theology was to understand nature so that we could better live in harmony with nature. Right. And then what started to happen was, you know, we got into Newtonian physics and stuff like that, which is kind of where we find ourselves now, where we want to break apart each individual component of the machine to figure out how it works. And then if we can manipulate one part of the machine, we will manipulate the whole. But we're sort of stepping into the role of God, and I say that in a in a you know with utmost respect or whatever. But we're sort of stepping into that role, and, and I think that it's actually not done us any favors. Well, um, to, I, yeah, I, in I many respects, us, anyway. Yeah, I I look at where we're at as a general society uh, and humanity. We're we're kind of like a, a five year old who recognizes that we can we're now tall enough so that we can touch the hot stove. And, and nobody's asking, should we touch the hot stove? And I think once we touch the hot stove, then we recognize, okay, maybe I shouldn't have done that, right? That's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Uh, we're starting to do all these things and we're kind of children just wandering through life and we're, we're, we're just doing things because we recognize that we have the capacity to do them, right? Mm-hmm. We can mm-hmm. go to the moon, we can go mine asteroids, we can go do all these things. Uh, we can drill in the deep sea, you know, for, for oil and, and gas. We can do a lot of things. We're really technologically savvy. But what we need to start getting in touch with is, can, should we be doing these things? You know, yeah. what are the well, and, 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 and to be honest, I think that more so than that, we should be asking ourselves, why are we doing these things? What is the intention, 100%. right? Like, you know, are we, are we doing this for the betterment of human society and, and planetary health and all this stuff? Or are we doing it for financial gain, which you and I both know, I mean, preaching to the choir out there, um, that's a dead end road. I mean, you, you know, at the end of the day, you can't eat money. So period. Um, right. And, and I think, you know, we're, we're speaking about broad terms here as society mm-hmm, and humanity, but mm-hmm. it also applies to the individual, right? And I think yeah. this is where it becomes very applicable. And I, and to some degree, this is where we're going to have to go. You, we, we're going to have to recognize that we, all of our individual actions, um, not only affect us, which I think is a good place to start. In other words, if I want to improve my health and my well being, maybe I should make these changes, but also that these individual actions that we all take affect the whole. And I think yeah, the more people yeah. we can get aligned with that understanding, um, then then we start to really afflict change across the across the globe. And I think this is this is how we tie it back to our ourselves and our actions and and what mm-hmm. we need to do. And 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 it's going to take some responsibility, you know, um, to to do that. But but if we can accept that responsibility, you know, I think there's some really good things that can happen uh, as a result. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting because when you start going down that road and thinking about that, I I think the the thing that comes to my mind first of all is sort of social media, right? You know, so, social media individualistic um, kind of thinking, where you know your newsfeed is tailored to you, 
um, the ads that you see are tailored to you. And everything is about you, you, you. You know, we, we sort of live in the culture of me. And, and I think that the culture of me really sort of flies in the face of what we are talking about right now. Um, and, and absolutely, like, look, I get that there is bio-individuality. I guess I get that we all need, you know, we have different needs and all that sort of stuff. But my concern with things like social media and individuality is that we lose our sense of um, identity with respect to the whole. And that, yeah. th- that's my problem, right? And, you know, let, let's, let, I, I want to sort of um, take a step back here a little bit um, because, you know, we sort of dived into a couple of things here. But I want to take a step back and I want to bring it back on point to the documentary that you've made, okay? Because one of the things that you talk about in the documentary is obviously technology versus nature or technology and nature. And that's kind of what we've touched on. But you know, you did this documentary um, over two years. You did a bunch of different countries. And the intention was was what? You know, like it's called the Human Longevity Project. So what was your intention and sort of driving force behind doing the documentary? Uh, it, there, there was a few things. I mean, one of them was to... Um uh, look at this concept of longevity, right? This concept of anti-aging that, that a, lot of, a lot of people love to throw around. To the buzzword, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and discover really what that's all about. Um, because I think right now we see Silicon Valley and a lot of tech people and a lot of quote-unquote innovation around this idea of, of extending human life. And, you know, I, I wanted to look into that from uh, and, and provide context around that and philosophy around that and understanding around that from the people that live a long time. So mm-hmm. you know, that was one thing that we wanted to uh, portray in the film. And so, you know, we, we traveled around the world and, and spoke with a lot of people in their 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s um, that are healthy. And we wanted to get their perspective on life, on their perspective on, um, uh, on particularly their life, because there's a historical um, narrative there that we have to pay attention to. Um, mm-hmm. And that was another key point was that if we were looking at people that live a long time in some of these areas that are known for their longevity, um, places like uh, Costa Rica, for example, um, you know, we have to look at, if we're talking to a hundred year old today, that means that, you know, they were born in, in 1918. So yeah. they lived a very different life for 50, 60, 70 years of their life than, than we might think of today. So we needed to, we wanted to provide a historical context to this idea of longevity. In other words, we can't copy what these people did uh, in their life because their life was totally different. Their environment was totally different. And the, the context in which they lived yeah. is, Completely yeah. different. So we wanted to show that, and we wanted to also show what healthy aging can look like. So people often in the West are afraid and don't want to make it to eighty-five or ninety-five. You know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, that sounds awful." But when we show a hundred and five-year-old riding his bike who is completely coherent, or we show a ninety-seven-year-old who's got fantastic eyesight who can read a newspaper without glasses, and she's cutting down her sugar cane and, and planting, uh, you know, uh, gardens. Um, you know, all of a sudden it puts a new context around what it might be to live to 95 or a hundred. And, but, but also we wanted to show that it's a lifestyle thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's not the fact that these people had the most amazing doctors and the most amazing, uh, yeah. Around yeah. Them. so that it's a lifestyle practice that we need to look at. So, you know, we, we kind of wanted to take a fresh look on this idea of longevity, what contributes to it, what it looks like. And, answer the question of, you know, do we want to live a long time? Um, you know, which, and, which is, yeah. I mean, so, all right. So you, you, you got my, 
you got my brain going here. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a whole bunch of things I want to pull out of what you just said and sort of um, expand on, right? So I, I, I'm so happy that you said um, that the world that people grew up in is not the same as it is now. I think that's a really, really important point to relate to people because, you know, you get the old, uh, the, the, the classic, right, where, oh, well, you know, my father uh, drank a bottle of whiskey every day and smoked a pack yeah. of cigarettes and he lived to yep. be 105. And it's like, yep. okay, but, um, you know, he didn't have high stress. He didn't have environmental pollution. He didn't have financial issues. He did, you know, he didn't have the, many of the things that we face as a modern society. So I think it's really, really important. And I'm so glad you did it is to sort of highlight that, right? Um, yeah. Well, and, and, and the, the, you know, there's, there's the, there's been studies done, right? Um, before National Geographic and the Blue Zones, they've done studies on this type of thing, sort of looking at a lot of these places. And, and, and I think that's the, one of the key factors that's missed is that we're, we're trying to pull out these similarities between these places that have, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of, uh, high rate of, of longevity. And I think, you know, what I experienced when I went there was that, and talking to these people, they lived a tough life. I mean, we romanticize their life, you know, because oh, they didn't have toxins. And but, it's, didn't it's, but it's a different kind of tough, right? It's a hundred percent different kind of tough. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I mean, you get what you do. What you get is a mixed sense. You get some people mm-hmm. that say, you know, who are in their nineties and say this is much better because it's so much more, it's so much easier to do these things. And you have other people say, oh, I know, you know, food was better back then and all these things. And but, but at the end of the day, I mean, let me put it this way: you know, a lot of a lot of stories that we heard, you know, people that walked 40 kilometers to go get a few items from the one store that was near them. You know, I don't know the last time you walked 30 miles to go get, you know, some flour and a couple eggs or something. Dude, but, I can't remember the last time I walked 30 miles ever. Right. right. Just saying, you know, like right. <laughs> and, and, uh, maybe and, when and, I was in the military, like I had to, like someone was whipping me to go and do it. But, uh, right. but <laughs> and, 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 you know, you didn't have, you didn't have nice, nice, you know, new Nikes that you were walking in. I mean, no. you know, the whole environment was different, you know, in Costa yeah. Rica, they're yeah. talking about riding horses and pulling these carts. I mean, this was not 50 years ago, you know, they didn't have electricity until 1970. So sorry, you don't, get you know if, if you want to fantasize about living in you know 1960 costa rica in, in the nicoya peninsula you don't have a, a freezer you don't have air conditioning you don't have a refrigerator you know um you don't have a lot of things that yeah. we have today let alone tvs and xboxes and computers and 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 yes we can fantasize about how life how amazing life would be without these things but you got to recognize that when you talk to these people they were working from mm-hmm. essentially four or five a.m until you know five six p.m well, that was your life and, and, and exactly. And that's yeah. all there was to do. And there wasn't this idea of leisure. There wasn't this idea of, of, of exercise or working out or anything like this. They were, they were living to sustain. And, and, mm-hmm. and yes, there's, there's, there's very positive things that come from that, you know, but I, I think it's naive to think that they lived such an amazing life that, you know, that, is so so much better than we have today. I think what what we've got to recognize is that we have that same opportunity to live that great life. We just have to make a choice now to do so, whereas they were sort of forced into that situation. And a lot mm-hmm. of them had to face things like, you know, sort of moderate starvation, if you will, you know, this yeah. very intense yeah. Yeah. low level of, of, of food availability. And, you know, and so, I mean, it, it's just a different, different way of life. It's literally comparing, you know, apples to, you know, coffee tables. I mean, it's just a totally different thing. And so I think this is one of the key concepts that we, that we need to discuss, you know, now is that, 
we have the option to live a good life, but we have the option to sort of create chaos and suffering as well. And, you know, which one are we going to choose? So, so, I mean, okay. So on that point, and I think it's a, it's a good, um, it's a good discussion to have is I've traveled a lot. I've traveled all over the world and mostly to developing countries. I've, you know, that that's where my focus has been. So very much like yourself, except I haven't documented a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. What I noticed with people is, and, and I think this is the real sticking point is life might be equally as hard, but it's more simple. Right. Right. If that makes any sense. So I have choices and I don't have 50 shades of gray. I have a black and white. I yep. do it or I don't do it. And that's it. And if I don't do it, I'm happy with that. And I deal with the consequences. But I feel like in the West, we almost have too many choices. Um, we, we, there's this the life. Life is just so busy and so hectic that there's so many different things to focus on. And do you feel that that's just simply a product of the environment or do you feel that we create these things because we want more? Oh, it's a hundred percent created. I mean, we, we create complexity and then in order to solve that complexity, we create more complexity. So it's, this is hundred percent self-generated. Now we can step out of this. We just have to recognize, I think the more important question, which very few people seem to be asking, which is what's the point of life, you know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and, and, and not not to say that I understand the meaning or the point of life, but I think one obvious one is to be happy. And, mm -hmm. you know, if we just step back and say, you know, what is it that's going to make me happy and how do I understand happiness? I think that's a really good start to understand what you maybe want to start doing in your life to live the way that you envision, right? So, you know, a lot of us think that more money will make us happier, more friends or more a, a, a spouse or kids or whatever it is, that next job. We're envisioning these things in our life that are making us happy. But if you look at the research and or you travel around the world and look at people who are happy, you realize it has nothing to do with things or convenience. Um, you know, it has to do with very simple things, things like connection, things like having meaning, you know, and this is where the simple life particularly a life that requires maybe work, you know, things like, like when was the last time you went to your, 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 uh, your sink and you turned on the faucet to get some water and you thought, wow, I'm really lucky to be able to have this water. Mm -hmm. You don't think about it at all. Right. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you, you, you totally overlook it. This is, I mean, I do this all the time. And you know, even when I try to remind myself, it's like, we don't have the awareness to be grateful for the very simple things. And, because things are so convenient and easy and abundant to some degree, they lose their meaning. So, you know, a, a carrot, which if you grow on your own and understand the cycle and how long it takes has a little bit more meaning when you grow it yourself mm -hmm. uh, and you don't totally. have a refrigerator and you have a, a food system that is, that is totally reliant on your work um, has a little different meaning than, than the carrots that we buy today. Right. So, so yeah. you find this when you go to these places around the world um, that are living more simply, more basic, is that they have more meaning embedded within their their daily life. So, and, so yeah, no, I, and I, I totally get that and I totally respect that. I mean, I, I guess I'm just trying to map that onto modern culture, right? I mean, d does that mean that we should all go back to growing our own carrots so we can appreciate them? You know, the whole mindfulness thing, I have very mixed feelings about mindfulness because I feel yeah. like my, I feel like mindfulness is just the next marketing cliche to be quite frank. Um, 
yeah, you know, I mean, mindful eating and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, sure, I get it, it you know, when you really boil it down. But it's now just been blasted out there. And I, get, I, I guess my point is how do we take what these, you know, there's people around the world that are living way more simplistic lives than we are living here in North America. How do you sort of transpose that onto modern culture? You know, like what should we do? in order to appreciate these things and to live a happy life. I mean, I'm sure happy life means different things to different people, obviously, but right. how do we do that? Well, I think, I think this is the, the crux, right? I think uh, I totally agree with you on the mindfulness thing. I mean, you can mindfully eat a Snickers bar, you know, and right. I'm very mindful that I'm destroying the planet today. Okay. Wonderful. You know, I'm very mindful that I used plastic. Okay. But you still used it. Right. So, I mean, mm -hmm. And I don't think there's any right or wrong answer here, and I'm I'm certainly not anybody to tell tell somebody else how to totally. Live, we're, but, yeah, we're we're just think, we're just open discussion, you know. Yeah, and I think I think you have to first ask yourself what you want, right? What is it that mm -hmm. you really want? What is it that you're really looking for in life? You know, um, it, beyond the surface level stuff. Do you think people uh, want too much? No, no. I think do, I think they just don't like, understand what they want. Okay. Because I, I always wonder about like North American culture, you know, like I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Africa. I grew up a pretty straightforward kind of life, traveled a lot, as I said. And the one thing that struck me when I came to North America was this whole notion of bigger is better, you know, more, more is better. And, and I kind of wondered to myself, like, have we outgrown that? Are we still there? Has it become worse? Um, you know, because again, bringing it right back on point. Like, I mean, disease rates have increased. People, you know, suicide rates have, have increased among certain types of populations. Crime has, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I just, these are things that I think about and I just sort of wonder how to put that into context with what you're talking about. Well, I think, I think we, we, we just don't understand ourselves, you know, I mean, not to hmm. get too esoteric and, 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 and you, well, know, you have a point. Yeah. You, you totally philosophy. have a point. Yeah. But go to go, just look at Buddhism. You don't have to practice it or, you know, just look at it. Just look at what, what's being taught there. Look at Christianity, look at uh, Hindus. A, a lot of these religions and spiritual teachings actually come down to very basic things. And if mm -hmm. you look at uh, the happiest countries on the planet, I know happiness is kind of a, a weird thing to study, but you know, it's, it's constantly reported that Bhutan and Costa Rica are, are happy or that are some of the happiest countries. Why? It's not the U.S. It's not France. It's not Germany. It's not yeah. uh, you know some of these Australia. It's it's not the U.K. It's, these aren't the, and they're the richest countries. So what what is it? What is it that makes us happy? It doesn't seem to be that it's more things, more complex things, more convenience, more more crap. It actually turns out to be the very simple things: the connection, the meaning, um, having a life that seems to have a, a quote unquote purpose. Um, it, these are the things that make us happy. And so it, it just depends on what you want. But I think people are confused about what they want because mm -hmm. of, of society and of culture and, and nobody really, you know, we don't think about how to understand what we want. Um, and I don't think it's bad to want things, I think. But we're also um, missing this idea that we already have everything. Um, yeah, uh, you know, know more, more, more so than ever before. I mean, I think we live in the, in a but time I mean, now where... I, yeah. I mean, fundamentally. I mean, totally, yeah. enough. You, you, everything yeah. you ever want and, and ever need is inside you. It's already there, right? This is the, this is the idea of meditation, right? This mm -hmm. is the idea of going inside and really figuring out who and what you are. And so I think we just don't have the practices to, to create the realization that, that, that's already there. 
So well, what we're missing is the teaching of how to access mm-hmm. this stuff. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's really where we're off. We don't yeah. have the teaching through society, through family, through, um, you know, religion or spirituality or whatever it is. We don't have the teachings to help us get there and recognize what's, what's already there, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We're, we're missing the access point, I think more than anything. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I think that um, society at large, especially, you know, again, I'm talking about North American society, um, Western society, that that's not the way that we've actually constructed society, you know, like in modern times, it's, that's not what we do. I mean, we, we're, we're more, you know, and again, things that come to mind right off the top of my head would be things like consumerism, social media, the idea of the individual being more important than the collective and so on and so on. I mean, these are things that come to front of mind when we're talking about these issues. And one of the things, you know, I just want to bring it back on point here to the documentary um, is one of the things that you talk about is, is community, right? And so in, in your travels, you know, have you found that community is, is really a, like, that's really a strong driver of longevity and health? Uh, yes and no. So okay. I think I think we we look at community, and we say that's an important thing. But I actually think we have more community now than ever before. And what we're missing is the connection. So this is what I think we found uh, in our travels was that there was more connection than than we have here. So look at all the communities we have. I mean, we have communities everywhere right now. But but, but are these superficial communities, do you feel? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so okay. I think I think they're just they're 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 on the surface. They're not as meaningful. Um, they are more um, illusory they 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 can be replaced right so it's almost like we have an a, a, just like we have too many options in the uh cereal aisle we have too many options in the community aisle we can switch communities mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. heartbeat i can go on facebook right now and join the community i can go on to yelp and all kinds of groups there's there's yeah. a million communities i can be a part of if you go around to the more traditional societies they didn't have 50 options of communities they had one <laughs> and you were either a part of it or you weren't. And not being a part of that community meant not good things for you and your family. So the connections that were established within the community were important for their livelihood and their well-being. And they were... Um, and for the well-being of society, were, right? Yeah. And, and this was part of the practice, right? So this was taught. This was, this was integrated into the, commu- the, the quote-unquote community was this idea that there is a value in the connections that are around you. And Mm -hmm. this is the problem. How many people know their neighbors right now, right? So it shows you that we no longer have a a strong need for the people immediately around us because we've now sort of overcome that from a survival perspective. And now we're, we're seeing that Oh crap! We're missing something. What is it? What? How? What? What is it? This that, that we're missing? Well, it turns out that it's the connection. And and this is, I think, a very important distinction that you can have a connection to nature. You can have a connection to God. You can have a connection to um, yourself. And so there are other things besides humans. I think that we can have a connection to that can still fill that that role. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that it's community in and of itself. I think we're just missing connection to something. Something that is inherently, I guess, uh, there. Some 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 yeah. higher connection to love, right? Yeah. And so I think that's yeah. what it is that we're missing. Yeah, and you know, I mean, like you you raise a few good points. I mean, obviously, in um, again, just looking at North American statistics, um, 
people are fragmented. People are disconnected. You know, there's that, that in, in the age of connection, quote unquote, i.e. social media and whatnot, um, we're, you know, in many ways we're actually disconnected because those connections that you talk about are not very real, right? They're not, they're not dependent um, or a dictator of our survival or our well-being, right? They're, they're just simply, they're just simply there. Yeah, That's all. I, I mean, and, and the irony of it all is that we have more connections online now. Right. And again, I say connections very loosely um, versus connections to people who are right around us. Right. Which, which, and, which, which is bizarre. I mean, it's, it's very much against the nature of things um, when you look at it in the in, in evolutionary sort of context, right? Yeah. And, and there's, a, there's a wonderful concept, a book called The Paradox of Choice, which is this idea that the more choices you have, uh, sort of the less happy you are with the choice that you make, mm-hmm. or the uh, less happier overall. And, you know, I see this, uh, this is kind of the case of our society as a whole, right? I mean, even the dating world, right? You can look at all these dating apps and it's like, oh, that's easy. We can just swipe here and swipe there and yeah. date this person. There's, in other words, we have so many options that we tend to devalue the options that are in front of us, right? So um, this is, I think, imagine a, a small village. If you screwed up a relationship in that village, there's a real need to resolve that, right? Because if you don't, then that's going to constantly create sort of chaos and and disruption. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you create a disruption right now in a relationship, it's like, oh, whatever, there's a million other people I can connect with. So it's almost like we have too many options. And actually this uh, is oddly enough, it gets back into this idea of, do we want to live a long time? And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is, is that imagine if I told you, you had, um, you know, 300 years to live, how important would tomorrow be? Right. Not that important. (laughs) Right. If you had 300 days to live, then all of a sudden tomorrow is one of 300 and all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more important. So I think that the the more we have, the more abundance, the more options, we kind of tend to devalue the things that are in front of us. And, And again, that loses its meaning. So yeah. You know, it's, it's a paradox. This is the paradox of choice. We have too mm-hmm. many, too, too much. It, it, everything and, and, becomes less meaningful. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's so funny, right? Cause when I was, uh, going back now, I must've been 23, 24, maybe, maybe even younger than that, 21, somewhere around there. And I was traveling through Africa and I sat around this fire, um, in <laughs> Le- Le- Lake Malawi, right? So Malawi is the poorest country on the planet. Um, they have the lowest footprints. They have the lowest everything. Like they're, they're just dirt poor. And I sat around with this guy named William. And William and I sat around the fire all night long, right? And we're sitting there and I'm talking to him. And, and I came to the, exactly the same conclusions that you and I are talking about. Where he looked at me and he said, you know, he said, I don't have many options. He said, if I want to have, you know, I know how long it takes to get from here to the store to go and buy whatever. So if I want to have time alone with my wife, I send the kids to the store. I know it's going to take them an hour there, an hour back. I got two hours to myself. If I want to go and buy fresh goat meat, I got to go to that tree over there because the guy that kills the goat, he's going to be at that tree. And if he's not there, I have no goat meat. Right. And his whole life was just constructed like that. And he was one of the happiest people I've ever met in my whole life, which which is so ironic, right? And then I sort of went back and I thought to myself, wow, like, you go to a Starbucks and it's like, do you want two pumps, low foam, um, you know, quadruple <laughs> espresso, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, holy smokes, man. You know, that's just one thing. And we just have so many choices that is, is, is that really a good thing? And, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, I'm not sure that it is. And, well, and well, what if, what if, and this is just 
a concept, a sort of thought experiment, if you will. What if that the source of happiness is within and everything external starts to uh, distract you from that, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if that's the case, then the more things you have externally to distract you, the the less you'll be able to access the happiness within. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that's a too far of a, of a stretch of, of, in terms of ideas, you know, um, I don't think so. No, because I, I have not met, I, I don't know of any external object that inherently contains happiness through which you can consume. Well, it's very short lived. Let's put it that way. Well, but it's, it's all, but either way it's coming from you, you know, in other words, yeah. you buy a couch, the couch doesn't contain happiness within it. You know, you buy a new car, the car doesn't have like a happiness you know, bundle in the trunk. Like mm-hmm, happiness mm-hmm. is a, is a thing that comes from within you and the external thing may stimulate this briefly and then mm-hmm. it fades. So the, the question is how can we, uh, create or feed the source within that doesn't rely on external crap? So how to, do we do that? Do you know, do, have, have, have you, in your travels, have you encountered people that have insights into this? Well, I mean, f- through my own experience and, and speaking with people that have sort of been around the planet, been on the planet longer than I have, um, there's a there's a few ways. I mean, I think it's things like meditation, um, very easy way to sort of get in touch with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, prayer is another good example of this. Um, simply be, having connection to, you know, people or nature um, or, or other living organisms. I mean, I think. Th- it's just this connection to self connection to others. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think getting, shedding the dissolution of, of the external world creating that. So, so in other words, you have to kind of come to this understanding, I think first that it's not the external crap that makes you happy. It's the internal practice Mm -hmm. that you can facilitate and harness. Cause it's, in other words, what, if it's already there, you just need to access it more. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like you need something to create the happiness. It's already there. You just have to figure out how to access it more. So sounds very Buddhist of you. Yeah. Right well, now. I think yeah. I, well, go figure. You know, it's been around for a couple thousand years. They're probably yeah. onto something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think this is why we're seeing a revival of the yogas, of the meditations. Uh, totally. We're starting to long for this because we have sought this external source for so long, and it can again, and we go back to this rebalancing. I think that's mm-hmm. what we're seeing. We're seeing a response to this false narrative that we've been taught culturally. Uh, and, and we're, we're now, and I think it's generally happening through the younger generations. You know, yeah. the, the more these younger generations come back around and start taking on these practices and shifting society for us, you know, this is, this is what we see. We see a, a rebalancing through the generational kind of rebuilding of some of these concepts that, um, that are starting to manifest. And I don't know why mm-hmm. this is the case, but it's, it's fascinating to watch and it's kind of cool. Well, I, I mean, from, from my side, I, I feel like there is a revolution in consciousness, right? I've been saying that for a while. It's sort of spiritual renaissance, if you will, where I think, you know, no one can argue when you take a look around. Um, yes, we might be living in, in, in a historical context of one of the most peaceful times in history, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think, take a look around at the environment, take a look around at um, the general level of people's health. You know, I mean, a third of the world is obese or clinically overweight. Uh, we've got diabetes rates set to triple. Um, chronic disease is skyrocketing. Uh, some of them have been leveled out, whatever. 
but generally speaking, I mean, the, envir- the environmental health, I mean, we've got ecosystems collapsing, we've got species dying, and so on and so on. So I think that few can argue that the world we're living in right now is not going to last with the current operating system. That, 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 that should be very, very self-evident for most people. And I think that the younger generation that are coming in, are, they've tapped into that and they realize that. And that's why we see the rise of veganism. That's why we see the rise of environmental activism and so on and so on. And all of, I mean, preaching to the choir here. Um, but I, 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 in many ways, agree with you. And I think that the, the world tomorrow will have to be dictated by fresh eyes coming into the picture right. now. And that is exactly what's going on. And we sit, we find ourselves, I feel anyway, in a very, very unique position where I think, I don't know how old you are, but you know, I'm, I'm in my early forties and I feel like I'm sort of straddling both lines, you know, where I, I understand the older generation. I totally get them and I totally get where you're at, but you're trying to operate, you know, windows 10 with windows seven right now. And, and that's just not where we're at, you know? And then the younger generation are trying to work on windows 12 while we're still on windows 10, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So if that makes any sense, uh, to, to folks, but you know, so, um, I think all those points are valid and I want to sort of um, start tying things up with perhaps a million dollar question that I think everyone is probably asking at this point. Is there actually a way to extend our lives? So forget about whether we want to or not. And I'll just sort of caveat this whole thing and preface it. Obviously, if we want to live a longer life, we want to live a healthier, longer life, right? So we, we, we don't want to yeah. live to be 135 where the last 50 years of my life are going to be plagued with dementia and arthritis and whatnot, obviously. But is there a way to actually extend our lives, um, period, you know, extend telomere length and all that sort of stuff? Like, have you come across that at all? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right. And I'm glad you made that, that clarification that we want to live a longer, healthy life, right? Our, the, the number of healthy years is really what we're after. Right. And, um, and, and I think, yes, I think there's absolutely ways that we can live a longer, uh, more healthy years and, and, and a longer overall life. Um, you know, I, I think that the debate that we see now is that, is there a limit to this? You know, do we have this sort of 120 year limit? Is there, can we, you know, are, there's, there's all these internet reports of people living into their 150s and 200 and somethings and all this stuff, you know, in China, the, Hads, the Hadzas, right? Yeah. All these, all these sort of famous reports that are just sort of, you know, uh, interesting to think about. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that think that we can live forever. Um, I don't tend to share that uh, viewpoint. I think um, I'm much more of a naturalist and, and so far nature has not demonstrated that anything lives forever. Um, one of the, the tenets of, of Buddhism is that everything is sort of temporary. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, then another tenant is that you, there is no birth and there is no death. So that's, that's sort of a non-starter, but Change forms. <laughs> uh, yeah, more, more fundamentally, I think, um, you know, I don't think that, that we can extend our lives to these extraordinary terms that a lot of people are throwing around. So I don't think that we can get to 200, 300, 400, et cetera. And I think that before we even got there, I think that we would recognize that it's silly to do that. Um, and here's, here's where I want to get on, get to, I, I want to, there's an, uh, what is it? David Goodall, I believe his name was Australian guy, scientist who actually, you know, basically committed 
self-suicide, right? Sort of euthanasia. Mm-hmm. Went to Switzerland to, to sort of end his life. And, you know, this is an important thing is that he was fairly healthy, but he got to a point where he couldn't do as many things, couldn't enjoy life like he, like he wanted to. So either that takes the shift in understanding that you can no longer do things that you could in your youth, or you accept this idea that, you know, you die. And so I think from what I experienced in talking to people beyond a hundred is that they were kind of ready to go. Right. So I think it's, 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 it's funny that you have 30 year olds and 40 year olds and 50 year olds pondering this idea of living forever. And they've only been on the planet for 30 or 40 or 50 years, you know, ask somebody in their nineties or hundreds, if that's a good idea or if they would want to. And generally I think what you'll find is that it's like, nah, it's like, why (laughs) I've lived a good life. I'm here. I'm I'm ready, you know? So uh, think about it and think about it this way. You know, think about if we were, if, if we could, you know, from a thought experiment idea, if we could, if we could go inside the womb and ask a fetus, if the fetus could live a, 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 a long life, in other words, not be born, right? Well, then they would miss out on being born. They would miss mm-hmm. out on the next phase of life, which is the life that we're experiencing now. And so I, I think there's a bigger question is, is what happens after we die? And do we want to even prevent that? And why? So yeah. I, I don't know that we, that we should care how long we live. Um, well, and, it, and, and can we probably, we can extend telomeres, but put it this way. The body is so may, complex. Maybe one or two years, maybe a few years. Like uh, yeah, I mean, can we get to 140 through technology, 150 through technology? Yeah, probably. I think that's very reasonable to suspect that we can. Um, you know, uh, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's as simple as, as people think. I think. I think people envision this idea that we're going to create some pill or some supplement or something mm-hmm. that's going to mm-hmm. do that, that we're going to find this magical concoction that's going to extend telomeres, like telomeres are this, the, the be all end all. I mean, look, we have misfolding of proteins. We've got all kinds of issues in the body yeah. That, yeah. that don't come from shortened telomeres. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know that there's this idea of the hayflick limit. There's, we're talking about telomere extension and the telomerase enzyme. Look, we can get geeky all, all we want. At the end of the day, I think you know, if we want to talk about the science, we have to recognize that we have many, many uh, genetic systems within us that are all communicating together. One of them is our, our, our somatic cell DNA, you know, which is our sort of human DNA. Mm-hmm. Then we have our mitochondria and they have DNA. Their so own they, DNA. <laughs> right. That are se- separate from ours. Yeah. Um, if you want to think about it that way. And then we have the microbiota that lives everywhere in our body that have their own DNA, you know, an RNA. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we have viruses and fungi and bacteria and parasites and protozoans and all these things. And they're all talking together and they're all working together as an ecosystem. So we have a rainforest of genetic information that's all communicating that is also communicating with the external environment, meaning the, the microbiota of the environment, the food, RNA, and all this stuff. So they're put it this way, it's really, really complex. And so the thing that I think that we have to recognize is that to think that we can use technology to manipulate an individual to live a long time, external of their environmental uh, inputs or status, I think is stupid. In other words, if we're poisoning the environment, killing the microbes, you know, we got six or seven bees on the endangered species list now, rainforests are an issue, oceans are totally polluted. So are we really going to try to extend a human's life 20 years and just forget the fact that the environment is going to mirror back any poison or any exactly. action that we do to it? Exactly. So you poison the environment, you're going to get mirrored right back. So you're yeah. going to be constantly fighting a, a, an uphill battle if you think that you can uh, overcome those challenges that are presented to you from the environment through which you poison. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head and there's a couple of things I want to talk about there is one is obviously we are a part of the environment. And I think yes. people love to sort of say the environment's out there and nature's out there and animals are out there and plants are out there and I'm, I'm over here. Like you are a part of the environment. Like you, you eat the environment, you are the environment. But I think one thing, just to sort of take a real big step back with all of this I think that if we were ever, and again, this is a total, you know, thought experiment, quote unquote, I think if we were ever wanting to truly extend our life expectancy, we would have to evolve on a conscious level. Yeah. Because the the way that we're living right now, there is no freaking way that we're ever going to evolve or sorry, ever going to extend our lifestyle because we would kill the planet even faster than we're doing. Well, I'll right. actually dis- I'm going to actually disagree with that. I think the environment and the and the planet is so much more resilient than us, and I think we will die so much faster. Hundred percent, totally, hundred percent agreed. I, I am well. I actually agree with you. Perhaps I didn't frame that correctly. Yeah. Like we're going to destroy the, the balance of the environment such that we can no longer live. Is probably I, I think that's a better way of a better way of framing it. Yeah, but the point that I'm getting at is that. I think, um, for, forget about living longer. I think you, it's just sort of circling back to the discussion here. I think, um, you know, what's interesting to me is the, the older people that you've spoken to have sort of said, hey, I'm ready to go. You know, my, I've had a good life. I'm, I'm done. And um, again, if they were to want to extend that and live longer, and perhaps correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure that these people have actually had a lot of these realizations and have lived the type of life that we're sort of portraying here right. where you know what I mean? So they've lived in some, a little bit more of sort of harmony and balance. And that's exactly why they've lived longer versus trying to sort of egotistically live longer so that you can accomplish more or get more <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Which, which I think is a very Western view, but I think it's held by a lot of people. Well, I think that this, this, this romanticism of living longer comes from the standpoint of not being fulfilled. Right. So True. I think, you know, one of my favorite uh, people that we talked to is a guy named Vic Strecker, who is a, a professor at the University of Michigan. And he was telling a story about his daughter who faced a heart issue and had to have a transplant at like six months old. And they didn't know how long she was going to live. And mm. she made it miraculously to 19. And at 19, they were, she basically said right before her death, she said, you know, I'm, and she didn't know she was going to die. She, was, she, she just said, I'm so happy I could die, uh, you know, and then she passed away like the next huh. day. So, uh, you know, I think to me that shows an, uh, uh, the wisdom of the soul of this, of this young girl who recognized that at 19, she was fulfilled. She lived an amazing mm-hmm. life and mm-hmm. whenever she goes, she goes. And this is what we experience. So I think philosophically, the people that we spoke with were so much more evolved. They were so much more advanced, so much more wise that I think the irony is, is the more you bring in this balance in this way of life that is harmonious, the more you recognize there's no point in living a longer life. The only point <laughs> is to enjoy today, yeah. you know, and this is a yeah. simple concept. So enjoy Being the present. heck out of today because that's all there is. And if you're not enjoying today, what is the point of living 150, 200, 500 years? Cause you don't enjoy any of those days. Yeah. So yeah. It, again, it's a circle, it's a circle or a cyclical a circular argument that we get, we, we end up, we end up in, right. It's this, this philosophy that comes back around to the same point, which is the, the whole point is to be happy today, not tomorrow, mm-hmm. not, not yesterday necessarily, not, not five days from now or five years or 500 years. 
you only have today. So mm. what yeah. are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and this more that we focus on the future, the more this we more, I mean, we have people right now that are talking about, oh, I'm going to, I'm doing everything right to live to 150. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Yeah. Well, dude, you, can hit, <laughs> you can get hit by a bus tomorrow, you know, and, and theoretically you, you could have been right. You, you, you know, you yeah. might've lived to 150, but sorry, you know, enjoy today. So well, I, I also find, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just going to just hammer this point here for a minute is I find that people agonize over this, right? To be able to live oh, that crazy. long, you know, so I, a question that I have just before we wrap up here, because I, I, lo- I love what you're saying. I totally agree with you hundred percent, but are you finding that the people that are out there that are living these long lives, I mean, are, are they hardcore Puritans? Like they're, you know, <laughs> watching what they eat and making sure that they exercise for exactly two hours every day and making sure that they meditate and blah, blah, blah. Cause I find that in the health and wellness industry anyway, especially here in the West people, you know, the, the whole biohacking scene and all that sort of stuff, which I totally get, we're essentially being asked to devote our whole lives to our well-being and living longer. And, and in reality, that's just not really how it works. I mean, I have to go to work. I have to put food on the table. I have a family. My kid has to play soccer. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. So, you know, perhaps you can speak to that a little bit more about your observations on a global scale. Well, I mean, you know, generally speaking, and I'm putting words in their mouth because they would never say this and never did say this, but mm-hmm. I, I generally think that they think we're crazy, you know, um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're kind of silly. We're, we're literally like children, you know, um, mm-hmm. they, they can't understand what the heck we're doing. Um, they eat normal foods that are from their environment, that are local, that are uh, whole, you know, um, they don't demonize any food. Um, they, they don't meditate because they don't need to. Uh, necessarily to be healthy. They don't exercise in the way we would think of it because they move all the time or they, yeah. they, they that's just their natural state. So, you know, one, one guy perhaps phrased it best and he said, you know, when I was young, the body was busy and the mind was still. The problem I see now is that the mind is busy and the body is still. Huh. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's it, in other words, it comes back around to basic things. And I think that we just have to get in touch with this idea that no matter what we're doing, there is no right or wrong. It's just a matter of, is this going to make you happy? Is this really serving you? It's a mindset. Your, your, yeah, your, your, your true desires, your true wants and wishes. And I think mm-hmm. most people, I think, are not sociopathic. I think they, they do want the same things. They want love. They want happiness. They want peace. They want harmony. They want forgiveness and compassion. And, and they want to give these things too. I think most people uh, have this idea that they want to give back you know, that they want mm-hmm. to leave this place a better, better than when they found it. They're just not, I guess, getting in touch with that as much. And, and we tend to chase the wrong things, I think. Um, and we're being influenced through our culture and through our society to, uh, and maybe not even influence, we're being manipulated in a lot of ways that we have to chase these other things. And so I think we just have to break the cycle that we're in and recognize the patterns that are not serving us. And, and as soon as we can recognize them, we have the, um, awareness to step out of them, then we just have to put in practice some, some things to step out of these patterns, these old ways, uh, and into uh, a life that is going to serve us a, a little better, you know, a little more mm-hmm. um, yeah, fundamentally. And so I think there are some very simple things that you can do. You know, one is to simplify your life, simplify your relationship, simplify your, uh, the, the, the soaps that you have in your, you know, bathrooms, simplify your clothes, you know, get rid of things you don't need or don't necessarily use. Um, you know, 
stop this consumerism that is just driving us crazy. You know, I mean, very, Mm -hmm. very simple things. Um, You know, just be mindful of, of recognizing where you're at. And so um, again, I'm with you on the mindfulness idea, but I think just, taking a second to recognize how do I feel? What am I doing? You know, is this, mm-hmm. is this really, cause we get in these, these habits that uh, don't serve us. So I think sometimes we just have to break the mold a little bit, uh, break up the routine and uh, question what, what it is we want and what it is we're doing. And I think if we can start to do that, then the process will, will unfold uniquely for each, each person. And this is why it's so hard to give, you know, practical advice on, on sort of this big picture idea of happiness and, and living a, a, an amazing life because it's unique for everybody. But I think the principles are the same which is to, to break the patterns that, that don't serve us and start mm-hmm. to put into practice. It's the practice. This is why you look at martial arts and meditation and Buddhism and, and uh, Christianity and all these, all these religions and everything. They all involve ritual and practice, right? Yeah, so it's the daily. It's the, it, it's the what, practice it's and the rituals day, yeah. are the things that get you into the states that, that, that we all want, right? Mm-hmm. So this is where I think ritual and, and practice come and play a valuable role. And so I think to some degree, we need to bring some of this back, you know, even this sort of the rites of passage that you see in some of these cultures that, um, that we don't have anymore. We don't have any more rites of passage that signify that we are a man or we are a woman or we yeah. have moved to this stage of life. And so, um, you know, I, I think we just have to sort of re-engage some of that. And I think it may take a new form, but it, uh, I don't know. I think I see, I, I see us all going in a good direction. I, I think we're just kind of, we're trying to figure this, this whole thing out. And um, I'm excited, you know, because 15 years ago, very different picture than what we see today. Totally. So it's, it's amazing to hey, see. Five how years ago it was a different picture. Yeah. Five, yeah. 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 So, so we're, I, I'm, we're... I'm super optimistic and I think people are waking up really fast. I think the younger kids, as much flack as we give them um, are really um, changing the world very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So, I think we got nothing but excitement coming and um, I'm very optimistic. And I think if we can just step back and, and learn to enjoy the ride and enjoy each day, um, it, it, it makes, makes the whole thing that much easier. Amazing. Um, Jason, on that note, I'm going to wrap things up here because I think it's a, it's a high note to end on. Um, you, you just hit the nail right on the head. Um, but before I let you go, uh, where can people find you? Like, obviously I'll, I'll throw some links into the show notes. So for those of you listening, um, but I'll send a link to the movie, uh, the documentary, but anywhere else, like anything that's going on right now that you want to share with people, um, exciting things, events, anything like that. Um, no, I'm, you know, I'm generally kind of speaking at, at, at events here and there, but, um, you know, they, I mean, people can find me on, on human longevity film.com. Um, that's, that's where our, our, our film lives and, uh, you can just search for me on social media, Jason Prawl. Okay, cool. Um, I'll add that link as well. So you, people can find you. So perfect. Yeah. Jason, awesome dude. Um, good, good discussion. And to be quite frank, I'm glad that we didn't get bogged down in the world of science um, because uh, (laughs) it's a rabbit hole. hole And on our show, um, we sometimes go there. Um, Wink, wink. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So just good to actually just take a step back and talk about health and longevity. And I I, I think if I wanted to sum up today's show, uh, really, we're talking about quality of life. That, yeah. that, 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 that's really what we're talking about. And I feel that in today's modern society, we've lost that concept entirely because, you know, you get people talking about how we've extended um, our, you know, extended life expectancy, blah, blah, blah. But 
the the unfortunate side of things is that yes we've extended life expectancy by one or three or five years at the most but that's come at a great cost and that's the quality of life Absolutely. and i think that what the human longevity project really encapsulates is that you can live a long life but you can also live a happy healthy life and i think that's really important yeah, and and I should clarify that you know um, the, if anybody's interested in the film, it does get a little geeky. So if you do like science, it's there's plenty of it there. You guys uh, will love it out there, right? I know you guys. So. <laughs> we dig into the mechanisms of circadian rhythm and mitochondria and microbiota and and uh, you know cold thermogenesis and and saunas and connection and birthing and I mean so we get into the science. It is very practical. Mm-hmm. But, totally. Um, with a with a, a fundamental understanding of of what what the point is, I think is is a very important factor. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, so thanks, Jason, once again. And for those of you listening, if you like the show, uh, please consider subscribing, sharing, yelping, tweeting, doing whatever you got to do to get the good word out there and uh, to help me to keep bringing you awesome guests uh, like Jason. So Jason, I'm going to let you get going and uh, we'll catch up soon enough. And thank you for all that you do and for um, producing such an enlightening documentary. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. All right. Awesome. Take care, guys. You have an awesome day. 